Have you ever seen one of those movies about a professional athlete or adventurer that gives you the butterflies, the sense that you have to get outside right now and go for it? Today, I'm talking to Aaron Lieber, the director of a film that did that for me, a film I witnessed part of being made firsthand about surfer Bethany Hamilton. It comes out in select theaters July 12th. If you want to be a filmmaker or you're a Bethany Hamilton fan, this is a great show. Aaron Lieber started making films of his buddies skateboarding when he was in high school. During college, he had an internship at Transworld Surf. The growing popularity of YouTube allowed him to make more robust highlight videos and surf videos. Then he found his niche making feature films about female surfers, which not many people were doing at the time. He started winning awards quickly. Through his work, Aaron met Bethany Hamilton, and the idea for the documentary Unstoppable was born. I'm Shelby Stanger, and this is Wild Ideas Worth Living. Bethany Hamilton has been on the surf scene for over 20 years, and she's only 29. When she was eight years old, she placed first in an NSSA competition, and she hasn't stopped competing and winning ever since. You might have heard of Bethany because her life story was turned into a Hollywood movie called Soul Surfer back in 2011. When Bethany was 13 years old, she was out surfing at Tunnels Beach in Kauai when she was attacked by a tiger shark and lost her left arm. But Bethany was back on her board a month later and competing only a month after that. Her incredible story isn't just about surviving a shark attack though. Bethany has remained one of the top surfers in the world. She's worked on her skills, training hard to tackle competitions and big waves, and she's a champion out of the water as a mom, a wife, and so much more. So it's no surprise that someone decided to make a documentary about her. I know Aaron well, and I've watched him work his tail off to make this movie. I was actually invited to be the only journalist in the boat when Bethany surfs at a place called Jaws in Maui. It's one of the main scenes in the film, and since then, Aaron and I have had a lot of meetings about both my podcast and him making a meaningful story and all the things that go into making a major feature film. It was great to sit down and talk with Aaron right before the release of this film. Just so you know, I got a sneak peek and it left me at the edge of my seat, hooting and hollering with some tears at the end. Before we dive into the making of this documentary and also talk to Bethany Hamilton, I wanted to go back to the beginning of Aaron Lieber's film career. I'd love for you to tell people just how you got your start as a filmmaker. Yeah, I started just with a camera shooting my friends skateboarding <laughs> and my teachers. I got so lucky growing up. My teachers in high school would be like, do you want to write a paper or make a film about like a subject or whatever it was at that time in school? So obviously I always chose making a video. So graduate high school, not knowing how to write a paper and uh, <laughs> got, to, got to college, got a D on my first English paper because I've and I'd never gotten a D in my life. So that was a rude awakening, but it was so cool to have at a young age, these handheld cameras that were a couple hundred bucks. I'll admit that we stole Final Cut Pro from our high school so that I could edit at home. So it was just a little thing. You borrowed it. You borrowed <laughs> it. Yeah, we did okay. borrow it. Yeah, but, we didn't steal know, it. Yeah, yeah, borrowed it. Yeah, so we borrowed it from the school for a day so I could install it on my computer and, and just kind of was on this journey to teach myself YouTube and those kind of free tutorials started becoming a thing. How did you develop your love of telling stories through, you know, film. Yeah. So, I mean, I didn't originally even have the intent to tell stories. My, when I'm younger, I was watching Taylor Steele films, which were like high action and like these skateboard zero films. 
and a bunch of those types of films. I definitely obviously watched Endless Summer with Bruce Brown and Warren Miller films as well. But when you're younger, you just want to get out there and do something. So my whole thing was like, I want to travel and like be a pro surfer, but I'm terrible at surfing. So <laughs> a camera was like literally the lens that I could go and do these things. And so that was my original intent was to just make performance surf films. I just thought it was so cool. And at that time there was a market for them. Yeah. So you grew up in Southern California, surfing, skateboarding, and you just always loved it. Then you said you started as an intern. Yeah. So in, in my junior year in college, I was going to study abroad and it ended up being really expensive. And so I was like, okay, I'm not doing that. And my mom was like, well, you should get an internship at a surf magazine. And I was like, that's a great idea, mom. Moms are smart. Mom, Your mom especially is pretty, pretty moms wise. Moms are the best. It's like one of those things my mom would say something to me or she says things even to this day. And then the initial response is like, you're wrong, but you, and you know, she's right. Like always, which is so annoying, but yeah. So she suggested getting an internship and I emailed a bunch of magazines and Justin Cote got back to me and I did an interview and yeah, I started as an intern at Transworld Surf when they were based in Oceanside. And as soon as I got in there, I, I, I learned what he was doing, but I wanted to make videos. And that was kind of like the internet just kind of started becoming a thing. So I would go to contests and make like highlight videos and recap videos before anybody else was doing that within the surf industry. So Transworld Surf was so excited because they're getting hundreds and hundreds of free videos for their own platform. So that's kind of how I started getting into the industry was just at the bottom. Yeah. I feel like being an intern is one of the most underrated things you could ever do. Like that was the advice a journalism professor gave to me my freshman year. He's like, go intern at your local paper. And I did. And I became, they gave me my own adventure column and I had to write a daily or weekly column about adventures and surfers. And literally I still do the same job today that I did at 19 years old and I got paid to do it. And you know, these internships, the cool thing about internships is you can do anything. I mean, if you hustle, you're allowed to work on a lot of big projects. I think at any place, right? Yeah. I think being an internship is just so overlooked. I mean, that's the first piece of advice I give anybody wanting to do anything in their life. Go get an internship. Even if you have to work for free, you'll learn 100%, a hundred percent. You yeah. should work for free. Yeah. Why are you going to get paid? I mean, if you sometimes get, you get paid, sure. If you can get I mostly paid, worked for free. Yeah. If you can get paid great, but like you have no skills and knowledge at that point in your life. You think you do. You're really overly confident at 19 years old. I remember being that human, but you should just, the opportunity, the thing is, is you're getting paid in the networking that you're going to build and the resources that you have behind you. So yeah, sure. It might not be monetary, but like, there's no way my career would be where it is now without that internship. And you get to learn from people better than you and you get to take risks and fail without a ton of consequences because you're not, it's like if you get fired... Oh, well, <laughs> yeah, well, you can't even get fired. Yeah. I mean, usually they're like month long or maybe three month long internships. So, you know, yeah, that's great. So why surfing? Like why, why? I mean, I get it. You love surfing, but you immediately started making surf films mm. and then quickly transitioned to making surf films about women. Yeah. Which a lot of guys were not doing at the time. Yeah. I think two things. One is the ocean just has this healing and allure that you just can't. Once you're in it, it's hard to leave. So the ocean just means a lot to me and at so many surfers. And so I think that was the initial draw. And then, yeah, I made my first film, The Pursuit, with all these up and coming, you know, 18 to 23 year old male surfers. And when I finished that film, I'll never forget, I was premiering it at my college and this lady raises her hand and, and says, so why are there no girls in your movies? And I was 22 at the time and didn't have an answer. And I, and I was like, that's a great question. 
you know, like that was, uh, what do I say? And so, yeah, so that, that, that stuck out in my head. And, you know, about a year later, I got this job working for Nike and they were already kind of making this film, leave a message with all these top girls. So I got really fortunate. I kind of fell into this space and met Carissa Moore and Lakey Peterson and these amazing women. And, and, and then that's kind of, for me, the light bulb went off like, oh, wow, there's this whole other space of really talented surfers that are so fun to work with and no one's doing it. Let's go. Yeah. I mean, okay. So first of all, if you're listening and you don't know these names, these women are now the top women in the world mm. at surfing. Lakey Peterson, Chris Moore. And at the time they were sponsored by Nike. So how did you get into Nike? So I just through the internship in the film became friends with all these other filmmakers within the industry. And a buddy of mine was the guy working like a filmmaker at Nike and he, he wanted to move on with his life. And so he, he's like, Hey, I'm going to quit. Do you want to try out for this job with Nike? And of course I'm like, yeah, I want that job. So, uh, he quit and I came on for like a month long period and as like a test trial. And after a month they loved working with me. So I, I stayed on with the job and, and yeah, and like you said, you know, Carissa Moore is now a three-time world champ. Lakey Peterson's number two in the world right now. So these girls at that time, though, were, you know, Lakey was 15 at that time. And Carissa, I think, would have been 17. Um, so, yeah, so I really got this opportunity to work with. And even on the male side, you know, Gabriel Mandina, Julian Wilson, Colohan yeah. Dino. I worked with all these up-and-coming kids. And so I just I got this really cool landscape to see what the future was like and I saw the women were just as interesting as the men, but no one was pointing the camera at them. That's so interesting. Well, I always appreciate how you showcase women because I remember doing a consulting job with a surf company and the filmmakers continually showed this one girl's every time she did a bottom turn and a thong, like that's mm. all you saw. And I was like, yeah. I just want to see her surf. She rips. Yeah. It was a cognitive choice for sure. I was just, and I, and you look at any of my work, you won't see that. If a female athlete wants to wear whatever bikini she wants to wear, that's totally fine, but I'm not going to intentionally shoot her in a sexual way. I'm always going to shoot her in an athletic way. And if their sexuality comes out because of who she is, fine. I'm yeah. not going to, I'm not here to say that's right or wrong. Some girls like to twerk on the beach. Yeah. Go for it. Yeah. Yeah. I'm not trying, but what I, what the intention was to try to focus on athletic ability and give the, whatever I was doing in that space, an elevated boost because the sexuality is going to be done by some other photographer or some other videographer. And then to be proud of that work. Right. And I have a mom and a sister and maybe I'll have a daughter someday. So yeah, to, you know, again, I don't, it's not like I want to write those people off, but it's just kind of been done a lot. Yeah. So how do you, how do you try to do something different? And that was really important to me. Aaron's goal of telling stories that aren't being told is something I admire and try to do myself. The story of Bethany Hamilton's career that he tells through Unstoppable hasn't really been told before, which is one reason it's such an enjoyable movie to watch. How did you find Bethany Hamilton? I mean, I know everybody has always known about Bethany Hamilton's story, but you found a different story that you wanted to tell. So talk to me about how you met her. And how you found this story you really wanted to tell. Yeah, I'll just kind of brush on all of it. I mean, Leave a Message led to Lakey's film. And Lakey's film, you know, Lakey Peterson, who's number two in the world right now, was the first girl to do an air in surfing, surfing. competition. And then this, the following year, she did an air reverse. 
Which is when you, can yeah. explain it? Yeah. Do you want me to? No, you explain it. I'm going to butcher Airver- it. Airverse is just basically going into the air and doing at least like a 180 degree turn, turn in the okay. air and then landing and spinning around. All, like, so it ends up being a full 360. So she was the first girl back to back years to do that. And at, at that time, she was the youngest girl to qualify. So I followed her journey on tour her first year and the struggles of being a young woman kind of in the big leagues. And then, you know, I edited that film in three weeks, which was crazy. Six, 16 hours a day. Yeah. But yeah, I ended up doing good. It was like number two on iTunes sports and Netflix licensed it. Did pretty good. And so during that time, I went on a trip with Carissa Moore, who's now the three-time world champ. And Bethany, and I first met her. And then about six months later, Bethany came on a trip with Lakey when we were finishing up Lakey's film. And I think Lakey had just finished maybe top five in the world. And Bethany was outclassing her surfing-wise. And, and Lakey was surfing good. I don't, obviously don't want to throw her under the bus by yeah. any means. But Bethany was just like throwing buckets and getting barreled. She was just surfing on a level that I, I didn't know she could surf at. I knew she was a good surfer, but not, you know, and so I kind of just like soft pitched an idea to her. I was like, Hey, like, it'd be really cool if you really just showed the world what a great surfer you were. And I didn't pitch myself. I just told her, like, I just suggestion, like you should do this. And then eight months later, I finished Lakey's film and Bethany texted me, like watched it and really loved it. She's like, let's do something. And so I was like, okay. So the original intention of, um, of Bethany Hamilton Unstoppable was really just to highlight her as an amazing athlete. And, and that's what we started out to do. And the film evolved. I mean, Bethany Hamilton is an incredible athlete, but most people didn't totally know that. Mm. Most people know Bethany Hamilton from the movie Soul Surfer or the fact that when she was 13 years old, she lost her left arm to a tiger shark. Yeah, And she's been on all sorts of shows since that from... The Amazing Race to she's been on Oprah, Ellen, probably the Today Show. Mm-hmm. And you're like, yeah, but there's this other story. Yeah. I mean, I would just categorize her as like the word like she's been categorized as a survivor of a shark attack and a Christian. But she's so much more than all that. And I think we all are. I didn't so, even think of those two things when yeah, I. Yeah, those yeah, are the boxes that she's right. been she put into. She was put into those two boxes because she did a lot of speaking at churches. Mm. And yeah. Yeah. And so they people just want to. I mean, that's it's just human nature, I think, a little bit to like try to understand things. And so the boxes she was put into are shark attack survivor, you know, surfer for sure, but not world class athlete. And, you know, a Christian. And so the film really tackles the idea of adaptation and perception and what it means to kind of be a woman in 2019. You know, Bethany wasn't really involved in that aspect of it. She's just going to be her. That's her job is to just be herself. But, you know, through the process of making this film, she gets married. She has a kid and there's struggles in that. And she's still an athlete. And so I really wanted to just be a fly in the wall in her world and give a female athlete who has these big narratives and is well known the opportunity to tell her story the way any other male athlete would have and have the cinematography and the sound and the music and all these layers that I feel like are applied to male films to a female film. If you if you really take a step back and look at the space of female narratives, I can name less than five that are good, that have been given the time and energy that they deserve. So Bethany's film, if you take away the shark and you take away the faith, 
it's the only film that I could think of that really highlights a woman as an, as a top level athlete that's done in the way that those films were done. You wanted to make it not just a film that was just like out on iTunes the next day, or that was distributed by a surf brand. You're mm. like, no, I want this in theaters mm. nationwide. So everybody could see her. Yeah. I, well, I feel like it's super important for young women to see themselves on a big screen. And the only way to do that is to make sure it's an authentic non-branded film. You don't go too into the shark attack in the movie. Mm. And I mean, the shark attack story has been told like over and over and over again. And I don't even like hearing it or watching it. Like kind of, it just makes me cringe. You, you see it, you know, it, it happened, whatever. How did you handle that? And then the, the aftermath of the shark attack, like how did you handle telling that story without kind of showing it and telling it? Yeah. I think what I try to do through the whole process of making the film was internalize how Bethany feels about everything and then tell the story that way. So I really got to know her really well, all of her little quirks and all these different things. And so I think the way it's told in the film to the best of the ability is how she perceived the moment in time and how quickly she moved on and trying to do it in a way where it's still emotional. It's still an inciting incident. It's still very important to her arc as a story, as a human, but it's not the only element to her and who she is. And, you know, I feel like the way, the way we did it was just, it was a moment, but it doesn't define her mm. in a negative way that maybe people want to kind of, you know, and everyone wants to know like, what happened? Like, tell us about it. And you're like, well, imagine being in a car accident and then being asked about it for the rest of your life. That's kind of like how yeah. it's annoying. So I, I, I wanted to show that angst, right? So there's this stuff with media in the film and, and so the whole, I want to, I wanted to pay, take people on a, an immersive journey. Like you're on this journey with her. So I'm the director and all this stuff, but really like what I try to do is like, imagine if Bethany was directing her own film, what it would look like. And that's kind of the way I approached everything. Most uh, believed her hopes and dreams for a superstar surfing career were gone, but Bethany was back on her board four weeks later. Did you ever, ever for one moment think you wouldn't go back in the water? Um, I think it went through my head once or twice, but once things came clear in my mind, I knew I'd be back out there. You got clear really quickly, didn't yeah. you? Yeah. <laughs> Tell me some of the things that happened right after, like her yeah. surfing accomplishments. Yeah, I mean, so in the film, we had to pick what we could keep, but uh, about two months after she had lost her arm, she was on the big island competing and ended up making the finals in that event and people were in tears. It was just like this crazy moment. So yeah, she, she, you know, she got back in the water four weeks later and was in, was competing, you know, two months later. And then, you know, she got second place at NSSA nationals eight, nine months later. And then a, a year after that, she won it. Not only did she, after the shark attack, go on to surf and beat everybody despite only having one arm, which by the way, there's, there's some things with surfing that would be really hard with one arm, paddling, mm. duck diving. Mm. And her dad had a solution that was really interesting in helping her duck dive under waves. So duck diving, for those of you who don't know, is waves come in and they're really powerful. And to get through them, you have to physically put your hand down and push the board underneath the wave. And to do that with one arm, like I've tried and I can't do it. Mm -mm. After I hung out with Bethany, I like just kept trying to paddle with one arm at my local break and I just 
flailed. I think it's a really great because Bethany's language is action, not words. So I think in life you're faced with two choices, do or don't do. And her choice was obviously to do. So I think if you lost your arm and you really loved surfing, you would just figure it out. You would just keep doing it until you figure it out. And that's what she did. So, you know, sure, we have two arms. So for us to try to go do it really quickly is impossible. But I actually would challenge you if you focused on it for like a week straight, you would probably figure it out because you love the sport of surfing so much, right? So she just loved surfing to the point where it didn't matter what it was going to take. She wasn't going to give up on her hopes and dreams. And I think that's just such a great lesson for anybody facing a mental issue or a physical one or whatever it may be. You have two choices and sure, there's maybe a lot of gray area, but at the end of the day, there's two choices. Yes or no. When we come back, Aaron talks about the making of the film and what it was like when Bethany saw it for the first time. Summer's the best time to get out and try something new. For me, it's always something in or near the water or near the mountains. Did you know that REI offers classes and tours all over the country? From paddling to climbing, hiking and campouts, there's something for everyone. If you're new to outdoor adventures, all skill levels are welcome to join from beginner hikers to seasoned outdoor enthusiasts. What better way to spend a weekend than whale watching by kayak in the San Francisco Bay or taking a moonlight hike in the Smoky Mountains or even going on a stand-up paddle and overnight camping trip in Coronado, San Diego? Did I mention that REI has access to places that you can't even go without a guide? It's a great time to sign up for a class and join REI for a new adventure. Learn more and register for classes at rei.com forward slash events. Making a film is no small task. And making a film about any kind of human, especially where there's so many moving parts and they're continuing to evolve and their story keeps growing, well, that's even harder. Bethany and Aaron were flying all over the world to film different points of Bethany's life and trying to catch surf, hoping the surf would come together and so would the competition. As the idea for the movie grew, the scale of the production grew too. Here's a taste of the film, Unstoppable. You think you're going to surf again? I think. I know. I looked down and her arm was gone. Heaviest moment of my life. Bethany was back on her board four weeks later. When she was coming back to compete, we were all jaw dropped. God gave me this passion to surf, and it wasn't like that passion had been taken too. I don't know how she does it. She trained her butt off. It takes a lot of strength and willpower to get that one success. It was May 31st. I started to go in labor. I've always looked forward to being a mom one day. I don't know how she does it. For her to take down two world champs, the current world champ, and a six-time world champ is pretty rad. She just makes everybody inspired. I didn't need easy. I, I just needed possible. I just love the interplay between Bethany as a kid, mm. her family, and Bethany as an adult. I mean, she's, she's just a badass. Like, she charges... I'm not going to give away the end scene because the end scene, I was there for it, but I was so excited because I'm in the boat and I just remember her jumping off and I could hear in the movie, 
me say, go Bethany. It was so exciting watching it. Just I'm so glad that, that again, that's another intuition thing. I knew I needed, I needed somebody to come and, and be who you were in that space. And imagine if you weren't there, we wouldn't have had a female voice in that scene. Right. Like there's these things that like, I didn't know they were so important till later, but I knew they're important if that makes sense. So again, intuition, and I just felt like I was like a total, like obstacle on the boat just because I was like an extra person and there's only so many people who can go, but that that's good to hear. It was just so crazy to watch her in the final scene. You'll just have to watch the movie to watch it. I mean, there's already <laughs> clips everywhere, you know, you kind of know what happens, but like I'm there watching her and it's just like the waves that she's in are, are terrifying for anybody. Yeah. And then you just watch Bethany. And then there was all sorts of footage that I didn't even know happened. That was really cool as well. There, I think one of the best things I heard post Jaws was from Greg Long, who's a big wave, you know, surfer and champ yeah. and just legend. And he just said, when Bethany showed up, you know, Shane Dorian and Ian Walsh and Greg Long and all the best big wave surfers are out surfing. And they, he said, we got out of the water to watch the Bethany Hamilton show. And he said he has never seen anybody show up and surf the wave so gracefully and take the lines that she took first time at that level. And so he was just so, all these guys were so blown away by her skill set, and she's smiling the whole time, which is just kind of weird. And then she wanted to go back and like was bummed that she didn't take any on the head. I was yeah. like, are you a masochist? Like she is cut from a different cloth for sure. She's yeah. Her level, her pain tolerance level and her willingness to want to put herself in a critical position on waves. She has that X factor that you're looking for with any like top level athlete, it's something you can't describe. They just have that thing. About a year after she had her first son, Bethany competed in the Fiji woman's pro. She trained incredibly hard, making her fitness and technical skills a priority while also caring for her newborn son and dealing with everything that happens when you become a first time mom. In this clip from unstoppable, You'll hear Bethany as well as pro surfer and three-time world champ Carissa Moore, also surf journalist Chris Morrow, who was at the World Surf League at the time, World Surf League TV announcers, and pro surfer and two-time world champion Tyler Wright talk about Bethany's second heat against Tyler in the competition. At this point, everyone's talking about Tyler shooting for the world title. I was like, oh, I wonder what's going to happen in this round two against Tyler. You know, Tyler's been on fire all year. What a run for Tyler Wright to start off the season, number one in the world. She's having the best start of her life. So right out of the gate, you've got a giant hurdle to climb. We're in the same heat again. So who's going to win this heat? I think Tyler's going to take it out. She's just too sharp. Strata. I'm with him. Yeah, it's, uh, it's hard to go against Tyler in the form she's in at the moment. I'm like, oh my gosh, Tyler, I'm totally cheering for you. You're surfing amazing. Like, win the world title. But I really want to beat you right now. Here goes Bethany, tucking into the barrel, finding some cover. A clean exit and looking to set up once again on the inside here. She needs an 8.9 to get herself into the lead. Here is the number. It's a 9 for Bethany Hamilton. I wasn't ready for her to freaking throw up nines against, you know, the current number one in the world. Well, a minute and 40 seconds to go, and Tyler using priority needs a 7.44 out of this ride to take the lead. 
Bethany is going to get herself on another decent set wave. Her open face turns again, looking strong as she tucks into the barrel once again on the inside. And well, a bit of body language there to finish that right off. She feels good, stands tall, 30 seconds remaining. And the wild card, Bethany Hamilton is going to take the win and move on through to round three. And Tyler, for just the second time in her CT career, is falling out of the draw in the second round. Out of everyone that I could lose to, I'm okay with it. <laughs> oh, it's so close. I'm stoked for her. I know, point one, it's so close. How she's been able to adapt and be the powerhouse that she is is absolutely incredible. I don't know how she does it. I wanted to hear Bethany's take on the process of making the movie, why she wanted to work with Aaron, her goal in making the film, and what she hopes other moms especially will take away from seeing Unstoppable. Aaron was able to ask her a few questions for me last week. When we first decided to start filming, the Unstoppable project started off as more of a high-performance piece. just because so many people knew my story, but they didn't really know much after my teen years. And yeah, I'd taken my surfing to a pretty high performance level and we kind of just wanted to show that off. And I had shot with Aaron in Indonesia and he was super impressed with my surfing and he films all the best females in the world. So he was like, you know, he could recognize really good surfing. When I first met Aaron, he seemed like a cool guy and very motivated and driven and I guess I trusted him and so ultimately to spend a lot of time with someone you gotta kind of be able to trust them and I think as the project grew he grew so much as a person and literally he's like unstoppable too he's just the most driven like quick thinking passionate filmmaker that I've experienced time with and just people across the board too like he's just constantly going I'm like slow down rest but like he also just had that perfect combination to share my story and you know I wasn't drawn to meeting some big name producer who wanted to tell my story I was drawn to someone who was unknown and who was just gonna capture me and my essence, and I think Erin did just that. Being that the film started off as more of a performance short film, and then it turned into a feature-length documentary telling my entire life story, from childhood till now, and entering into motherhood, and there's so much that happened in the last 10 years that Soul Surfer didn't tell. And as much as I loved Soul Surfer and how awesome it turned out, it didn't really capture me to the essence and like all that I had done after my teen years. So it's kind of an extension of Soul Surfer, but with the real me. You know, I just shared a lot of like kind of raw emotions that I was facing in the film. And I look back on those emotions now and I'm like, oh my gosh, that was so silly and momentary. But you know, that was just how I felt and it took time to process. I think 
When you first enter into motherhood, there's so many unknowns and you just don't know what your life's gonna be like after, but you also know it's gonna be amazing. And I just hope to encourage moms to be the best mom they can be, but to remember to still give themselves time, to not lose their love for their passions, like surfing for me, if I just stopped surfing or like kind of gave it up after becoming a mom, that I just can't even imagine that, like, and I refuse to imagine that. But finding that balance as a mother and being a just solid mom, but also remembering the things you love and I'm just hoping to spread some light to people and push them beyond. To make this film, I mean, you started with like, I just remember I saw this little Kickstarter go up and Bethany was going to make this movie with this young guy, you know, and it was a really cute little Kickstarter video, but like mm. it looked, it wasn't like big time then. And you got a ton of Kickstarter supporters. Yeah. So a lot of people listening want to do a Kickstarter campaign. And you have a good story about like pretty fast success with Kickstarter. Yeah. Well, Bethany has a built-in audience, right? Of fans that want to support her. And so we had raised some, a little bit of money through her sponsorships, but we kind of ran out of that quickly. And so we turned to Kickstarter like, Hey, let's try this. And so, yeah, we, we set the goal of 60 grand to at that point, the idea of the film was like a 15 minute film, like a little bit of narrative and then action is her surfing really hardcore. Like, you like know. 60 grand is not a lot when it comes to making a film. No, but I wasn't going to pay myself. I was just doing it because yeah. I loved it. Yeah. And so, yeah, we, but then we ended up, you know, in four days we hit 60 grand and four days to achieve your Kickstarter campaign. Yeah, that's, yeah, that's yeah. no joke. Yeah. And then we went all the way up to, we ended up at 116 thousand, which was great. Wow. And then I had a few random celebrities kind of reach out and just donate money behind the scenes, which was pretty intense or not intense, but it was really cool. Surreal. Yeah. It was surreal. That's a better word. Yeah. It was very surreal. Oh, interesting. And some random celebrities, which I won't name because they didn't, they didn't want to be named. Was it random or were people who had interacted with, um, totally random. Wow. One of the biggest musicians in the world. How interesting. And I guess like his assistant who, who I dealt with, I guess I just said a hey, but. It's okay. I still have no idea who it was. Yeah. So he, his assistant reached out and I guess he's got a chunk of money that he just gives the th causes that he likes every year. Wow. And so he, he saw our Kickstarter and just donated to it behind the scenes and doesn't want credit, doesn't want anything. But he's so, not even listed in the Kickstarter contributors. Not, not listed, yeah. At the end of the movie, what I liked so much is that you've listed all those Kickstarters who I initially know. contributed. 1,800 people. That's so huge. Yeah, so they all made the film, you know, at some level. They're, they're you know, executive producers at some level. Yeah, that's that's really cool and special for, for you know, Bethany's fans to be part of her film. Yeah. And all of those people are going to go see the movie. So that was really smart, too. So you thought it was just going to be a 15-minute film, and then there was a point where you're like, no, this mm. film is like a Hollywood film. It deserves to be as big as Soul Surfer was, which was, you know, Helen Hunt played her mom. There was a Dennis was, Quaid. Dennis Quaid was her dad. Yeah, Anna Sophia Robb. Anna Sophia Robb was Bethany. I mean, the, Carrie Underwood. Carrie Underwood. Oh yeah, Carrie Underwood was in it. There was a huge cast of characters in Soul mm. Surfer. I have little neighbors, and um, Bethany had given me a signed poster, and I one day brought it over to my neighbor, and she started crying. She's like eight years old, and she was just like, "I love Bethany," and that's kind of the reaction people get when they see Bethany. They're obsessed, and they watch Soul Surfer like a hundred times, and people are super fans. Oh yeah. 
So why did you decide to make it a Hollywood movie rather than just this 15 minute movie? Well, so it was in the middle of the Kickstarter. We're raising this money. Here we go. All right. We're like, we've the, the period of the of fundraising is about a week done. And I, and Bethany's like not texting me back or calling me. I'm like, what's going on? Is she like mad at me? You know, what's happening? And then I get a call from her assistant, Becky, Adam and Bethany. And they call me and like, Bethany's pregnant. And it was just silent like that. And Adam's speaking, not Bethany. Adam's her husband. Yeah, Adam Dirks, Bethany's husband. And so I, obviously, like, I didn't know that was coming. So I just congratulated them and was super excited. And Bethany didn't talk the entire phone call because she wasn't ready to have a kid, which we address in the film. And so I just told them, you know, take two weeks, figure out if you want. I can take the footage I have and make something awesome. We'll give all the money back to Kickstarter. And you can take your life in that direction, you know, whatever you want to do. So two weeks passed and she called me and she's like, let's keep going. Let's do this. So that was the pivot point where I was like, okay, I don't know what this movie is going to be, but I know I need to follow her pregnancy now. And this is going to be a much longer film than I originally <laughs> it's intended. It's going to have to go at least nine months. At least nine months. Wait, no, but longer than that because. Yeah, she has to have a baby. She has to have the kid. And then she's there's it's so now it's at least a two and a half year project minimum. And uh, yeah, so I just kind of like my sister had gotten pregnant just before her. So I was able to kind of like anticipate the emotional journey that she was going to go on. Well, that's cool. And so you understood. Yeah. Like, yeah. And I got some experience holding a kid before her kid, which was cool. So yeah, so I, I flew out to Kauai and checked in with her every trimester basically. And yeah, and just kind of documented all that. And to answer the question more though, like the quote unquote Hollywood film, first of all, I, I think Hollywood films of people tend to be terrible. Um, <laughs> At least you're honest. Yeah. I mean, they're, they're good in that they think they do check the box of like getting through a good message, but they're, they end up being cheesy and, and not factual. So my goal was to make something that would scale and be as impactful, but also be true, authentic, and just emotionally deep. And so as the story developed, I kind of would check off these different boxes in my head of things I was looking for. And finally, in September of 2016, I had a, my own personal meltdown, like, oh my gosh, I have all this amazing footage. I'm not equipped to make this movie by myself. And so I set out to find support in the team. And that's what I did. I went and found, I met with like 10 different production companies who were all male and through that process was looking across the table at other white men going, these guys don't are going to like, how is their perspective any different from mine? And then I met through a friend, Alice Gu met this lady, Carol Martori. She's got 20 years of experience editing documentaries. And I met her and she just had this presence about her that was just super special. And within the first five minutes of meeting, I was like, Oh yeah, I want to work with her. And then right after that meeting, I met my producer, Penny, Edmondson, who then brought in her friend, Jane Kelly Kosick. And yeah, so I built an all women um, support crew to, to make the movie. And that was the best decision I could have made for sure. Yeah. I remember during that phase at one point you were like, can you help me with writing? And I was like, I no, <laughs> I, I, yeah. I, 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 that wasn't my specialty, but these, and these women aren't like super young. They're, they're no. professionals that have been doing it for a while. They're yeah. seasoned. Yeah. They're both like, I think everyone's twice my age. 
So yeah, they've been around forever. So that was what I would say that would be the Hollywood aspect of the movie. So I'm like, okay, I understand surfing. I'm core within that space and I understand her story, but I need help making sure that I check a bunch of other boxes for the narrative arc and also just riding the wave of like, who do you speak to, to get into a film festival or there's so many things that you have to do and, and hurdles and I needed help, but I wanted to make sure it was coming from a space that would feel like Bethany. And so women were super important in that. That's great that you found them. And, you know, I think there's, there's this saying that Jim Rohn said, you know, you're only as good as the people you surround yourself with. Mm. And you've always been about finding people that are better than you. You know, some people like to work with people that they can be the boss to and that, that are like less skilled than them. Yeah. I've never had much success doing that. I always like working with people better than me. It means you have to pay them, but it's hard. Yeah. But that's a really good, I mean, any other tactics and lessons that just sort of mindsets that you have that you used when you found the team and made this film? Yeah. I mean, well, just to speak to that point a bit what's the point of working with people that are, that aren't as good as you? That doesn't make any sense. So finding what you're good at and then, okay, that's what you're going to be good at. And then what are you bad at and making sure you're hiring people that are better at you in those spaces. So you still want to be good at something because obviously we all have an ego to to feed at some level. So I, I still feel I can edit, I can, you know, write a little bit, I can produce, I can do all these things, but I know I'm not, but I'm not going to be really good at all of them at the same time. So I, my lead editor runs a circle around me when it comes to editing. Right. But I still know what I want. And so to be able to have that creative freedom to, to kind of spar with her was so fun. Like we had so much fun sparring what I would call sparring ideas, but always never like in a negative way. It was yeah. just like, it was fun. Like, yeah. you know, like she's like, I would consider her one of my best friends now. And, and so, you know, I having, having that, I would really encourage everybody to try to like, you know, if they're starting off making films or podcasts or whatever they're doing, learn all the different jobs and then hire people that are better than, than, than you. That's the only way you're going to make a good project. So hiring people that are better than you though, takes resources and investment. Mm. And that's, that's the part that I, I tend to be a little like cheap. Like I want to say it, like it's, it's hard for me to like go into my bank account and just shell out tons of money, but I've done it before and it, it works, but it's, it's hard. I want to talk to you a little bit about raising money because there was one point where I actually got involved and dipped my toes into like, do I want to be an agent? Do I want to like be a sponsor Mm. agent? But just asking for those dollars, I think one of the things I learned is I was like, wow, it's the same amount of energy to ask for $500 as it is to ask for $50,000, like yeah. just depending on who you're talking to. Yeah. What did you learn from fundraising? And um, Well, what I learned is like what's is not to, like there's obviously what you need, but trying to figure out what the other person's going to gain, whether it's a company or a, yep. a private investor, that's the most important. So you want to sell your story in the shortest period of words possible and what you need. And then talk about them the rest of the time. That's the key to pitching. It's like (laughs) dating. You want to like make it about them and make it be beneficial to both parties. It can't be, you can't be needy. Yeah. I think the one challenge I really had is Bethany is very particular on who she'll partner with. You know, she won't do any type of product that's got sugar in it, all these different issues. Right. So like huge beverage companies were probably throwing money at you and you had to say no. Exactly. Yeah. So there's two sides to it. Like part of it's like, ah, dang it. Like I could have, you know, this could have been so much easier. But then like, I love, but like, that's who Bethany is. Right. And so 
you know, she wants to be true to so many different things. And I, and that's rare to find in this world. So, you know, challenge accepted. Yeah. <laughs> so we went and found, we ended up, you know, Kickstarter and a few and uh Corksicle and Rip Curl got us to, through the filming and then post-production, I went and found private equity and, you know, built an LLC and just did it all professionally at that point. And so, yeah, that ended up being the route we had to take in order to kind of cross the finish line. What was it like seeing the film on the big screen for the first time? I remember, so I got Dolby Digital to sponsor the film. So the first time I really saw it on a big screen kind of done was up at their headquarters. And I just felt like I was going to vomit. <laughs> <laughs> it was so nerve wracking because you're in this like brand new state of the art facility with, you know, 10 executives and they're all watching the movie for the first time after it's been mixed. And it was just very nerve wracking, you know, but we did a, a feedback screening at Red Studios. Uh, it was a two hour film at that point. They let us use their facility and we brought in producers and editors that were all of Hollywood and narrative backgrounds to give us feedback. And so that was like, I guess, the, the real first time. But you don't I didn't have any expectations. Like the first time. OK, so in that space, actually, the whole time I'm like, this movie's so bad. This movie's so bad, like pretty much for like two hours. I'm like, oh, it's so it's so cringeworthy. Right. Like you just don't know how people are going to take it. And then people really love the two hour cut, which was cool. And our feedback was not, there wasn't much. We just needed to figure out how to get it from two hours to 90 minutes. So, which was painful, but we did it. But yeah, I, I have, it's like sometimes in these experiences or outer body experiences, like it's you doing it, but sometimes it doesn't feel like you. And so. What, tell me more. Yeah. I just, it's like. You have like a creative angel that comes through to you. Cause yeah. I, I, I believe in that. Yeah. Well. I mean, a, a bit of that for sure. I think it's it just out of body in the sense of like, I didn't even know I was capable maybe of doing this film at this scale. Like I listened to the podcast with Jimmy Chin and his wife and I'm like, man, they're so well-spoken and, and like, they just seem like they like know what they're doing. And I honestly didn't know what I was doing. I just figured it out. But what I've learned, I guess, to like tie the outer body experience is I have this like inner feeling and I don't necessarily know. I just go where my heart and my soul kind of, okay, this person seems like the right person or this one doesn't. So there's this like, as I listen to these other filmmakers who are seasoned, they speak in this way. I'm like, I did that, but I didn't know I was doing it. Mm. I wasn't educated in that way because I have no filmmaking background, but they made these certain choices in the film. And I was like, oh, I actually made those same choices but I just did it because I felt like it was the right thing to do, if that makes yeah, sense. Yeah, I know. It was your intuition. It was my intuition. Yeah. So that's where it's out of outer body because I'm like, I don't even remember. How did I make all these decisions? Like, I, you know, like looking back, I'm like, did I do that? It's kind of it's kind of weird at some level. It's so crazy because now Bethany, I mean, she's grown so much since the making of the film. Mm. She's a mom of two boys now. Mm -hmm. And, you know, Adam has grown. He's written a book. Her husband. What did she think when she saw it? Oh, she loves it. Yeah. Seeing it's just like, what was it like watching her watch it? Did you, were you there? Yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. So the first time she came to my house and we did the first 15 minutes of the film and she sat like this with her hand blocking her eyes. Cause she didn't want to, she was like trying not to let me watch. Cause she knew I was watching her, you know, but then once we got through some of the tougher scenes, it got into her and Adam and stuff. And, and it's just like, 
kind of the coolest thing ever to be able to see your relationship grow with somebody and see your kid like running around. And so I, she really loved all that stuff for sure. I think it's interesting too, though, with our relation with Bethany and I's relationship, like as I kind of had a camera in her face all the time, I definitely like would find her trying to peek into my life as well. Like <laughs> asking who, about girls. And yeah. Stuff. Just who is this guy, you know, like making sure I was the person that she thought I was, you know? So there was definitely some back and forth on that, which was hilarious, but yeah, it was so fun. And what a like honor to have that, to let anybody, you know, it's not easy to let your open your life up to a kind of semi stranger and let them tell your story. And she's so, she's such a massive figure to so many people, but I always just kind of told her, I was like, Hey, this film is for you to showcase yourself in a way that's super dynamic. And if you don't like something, let, we'll talk about it. And if you, if you really hundred percent can't be in the film, then we'll take it out. And so I always would remind her, and that's the truth. We did that's, we stuck to that all the way through. So, you know, I, I just, I just don't think it's fair. I also want to tell hero. I, I, my intention as a filmmaker is to try to tell heroes stories while they're alive. You know, I like, I loved Shane McConkie's film, but like how cool would it have been if that story was told while he was still here. And so, yeah, like to have that ability to work with her, but then letting her dive into it. And then now watching the, the feedback, all these young girls love the story. And part of the reason why they love it is because Bethany's fingerprints are all over it. It was, it was my best ability to let her tell her own story. So the film hits theaters when? Yeah, so the film hits theaters July 12th. It'll be in about 150 to 200 theaters nationwide. And cool. yeah, I really hope people show up and take their friends. And I hope, you know, dads take their daughters and mom take their daughters. And 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 really like young, young men. I mean, there's a story for everybody. Adam being a stay-at-home dad, I think is a really key element to the story and kind of a modern twist on, you know, being a parent and and that relationship. And so there's a lot of, there's a lot for everybody and it's a good family friendly movie. It's PG. Yeah, it is PG. Yeah. I mean, realistically just because there's pregnancy and some life stuff. So other than that, and a lot of her fans her Bethany fans that have seen the film said they like it more than soul surfer because it's really her. And so I really hope people show up and get to experience Bethany for Bethany. It's awesome. I, I definitely teared up in the movie. It made me hmm. cried. I didn't expect that. It was so good. I can't wait to see it in the big screen, not just on my little computer screen or TV monitor, but where can people see it? Like, how do we? Yeah. So if you go to unstoppablethefilm.com, there'll be a theater listing. And then as it gets closer, Fandango, you'll be able to just type in your zip code and it'll show you the theater nearest you. Awesome. So Fandango and all those ticket websites. So it'll be in like AMCs and Regals as well as maybe some smaller theaters, but it's in a lot of, it'll be in a lot of major chains. And the one thing that I will note is Dolby, because Dolby sponsored the film, like God. the sound design is so amazing. And our composer, Chris Bowers, he did Green Book, which won best film. That was your composer? Yeah. That had the best music. Thanks. Yeah. So our composer is this really talented kid. Well, he's just turned 30, but Chris Bowers, who he did Kobe Bryant's film. He went to Juilliard. Yeah. This kid, he worked with Kanye West and Jay-Z on Watch the Throne album. This kid's like just so talented. So he was flying to Atlanta and shooting because his hands are actually playing the piano in um, Green Book. 
and then he was flying back and doing my film as well as a few others. Wow. But yeah. So the, the 90 minutes of original music and our sound designer had just finished working on black Panther. So, you know, I really tried to check the boxes and make this film bigger than a documentary, but still feel like a documentary. So there's like, there's like, we call it like a feature menu. <laughs> feature menu. Yeah. It's so good. I can't wait for people to see it. Any just parting advice to people listening who want to be filmmakers or just want to do something? Yeah, I think I think just remembering that no matter how big or small the idea is to take baby steps and to not give up. And if you really love it, just remind yourself, oh, yeah, I'm doing this because I love it. If you don't love it, like don't do it. You know, and if you're getting in the game to like make a bunch of money and get rich, like you probably should pick something else. So I think you have choices, you know, you can move to Wall Street and make a million dollars or more, or you can kind of pursue your passion and live this lifestyle that's like really fulfilling. So my advice is to just take baby steps. Bethany's film, if I would have, that's been six years right now. But I loved it, you know, so like I was I would still do commercial jobs and all these things through the time. So it, it, it was just one of those things. A lot of people ask me, like, how, how are you so motivated about this one idea? And it's like, well, the idea just keeps getting bigger. So it just it stays exciting. And again, intuition, it's really hard to like those different moments through making the film to look at you or look at anybody and really explain what I knew in my head in a way that like would be rational. So. I, you have to be a little irrational to make documentaries. You have to be a little bit crazy, right? To just, you're taking a giant risk with no idea of where it's going to go. So I guess the advice is just to, again, baby steps like, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to film this little bit and I'll have this footage and then cool. And then I need, you know, so just getting down the road with those little things. And there's just so many tutorials online, like be a student of the game. I am always learning, whether it's listening to a podcast to stimulate my mind or researching a new camera or, you know, there's so many other people that are better at cinematography than I am that are better at editing. And I'm always like getting inspired by those people and watching more long form narrative films and stories and trying to apply that to a documentary. And there's there's clear story arcs that have worked through history of time. And you can go and look at those. And if you apply the, those points in your story your story will be that much more dynamic so just have fun with it and keep going bethany's story is one that not just women not just young girls not just girls my age can relate to but anyone can relate to and i'm so glad the world's going to be able to see just how badass of a human she is bethany's resilience determination kindness and willpower it's inspiring to say the least. And there's parts where the hair on the back of my neck stood up because I was just so in awe of her skills and her gutsiness. She's amazing. And she definitely was impactful for me in starting this podcast. I'm so thankful to Aaron for making this movie, for rolling with the punches life threw at him as he was filming. Your persistence has resulted in something that's going to inspire a lot of people to pursue their dreams, no matter what obstacles they run into along the way. You can go to unstoppablethefilm.com to find out where you can see the film yourself. And if you do, take someone you care about to enjoy it with you. This podcast is produced by REI with the help from Annie Fassler and Chelsea Davis. Thank you so much to Aaron Lieber for sitting down to chat and making this empowering movie and to Bethany Hamilton for showing me 
and for showing us all that you don't need easy, you just need possible. Tune in week after next as we talk to two incredibly accomplished artists who find their inspiration in nature. As always, we really appreciate when you subscribe, rate, and review the show wherever you listen. Reviews on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen take two minutes. So if you like the show, go for it. They're hilarious, heartwarming, and they help me keep this show free. So go be wild. Go see the movie. Go be unstoppable yourself. Get outside. And remember, some of the best adventures often happen when you follow your wildest ideas.